Who is Jesus? That's been our question since Christmas gave way to Epiphany and the time following Epiphany. Born in a manger, born of the Virgin Mary, I get it, right? That's great, awesome story. But now that Jesus has grown up and and started his ministry, who is he? And why is he here? Who is Jesus? Well, on the day that we celebrated the baptism of our Lord, all the way back on January 10th, we adorned the church with white and remembered that Jesus was God's Son, one whose baptism was an occasion for the Spirit to descend like a dove and a voice to bellow from heaven, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Who is Jesus? Well, in the following weeks, our colors changed to green, and we never left the first chapter of Mark. We, we didn't need to. In those 45 verses, technically we only read 39 of them, but we learned a ton about who Jesus is. As Jesus called his first disciples to help usher in God's kingdom, he called ordinary fishermen, along with tax collectors and, and other sinners. Who is Jesus? He is one who can do amazing things through faithful but ordinary people like the first disciples and like you and me. Who is Jesus? Well, when Jesus called a demon out of a possessed man, we learn that Jesus doesn't shun people like society does just because they're suffering, just because they're odd, just because they're different. And furthermore, the the story taught us that Jesus is one who merely with the words of his mouth can change things according to his will. With the words of his mouth, he casts out demons, calms the storm, forgives sin, and promises everlasting life. Who is Jesus? Well, if we'd had a chance to read those last few verses of Mark chapter 1, we would have heard the story of Jesus healing a leper. And in that story, we would have learned that Jesus not only has the power to heal, but is even willing to trade places with those who are afflicted in order to make them well. The leper, alienated from society for years because of his disease, is healed of his leprosy and allowed to re-enter society. Meanwhile, Jesus becomes a marked man and is forced into isolation out in the country. Who is Jesus? We address that question one last time following Epiphany before entering into Lent this coming Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, and we find ourselves asking that question on the top of a mountain, along with Jesus' inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John. Let's read that story from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Mark writes, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there he appeared, and there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. 
Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to Him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Let us pray. These are your words, O Lord. Your word is the truth. Lead us into the truth. Amen. So, what's going on in this story? Well, Jesus has already predicted his death for the first time in Mark's Gospel, just a chapter or so before this moment. And now they ascend a high mountain together. Suddenly, Jesus' appearance changes. His clothes turn dazzling white, and Elijah and Moses, great heroes of the Jewish faith, appear before them. Peter is so overwhelmed that he hardly knows what to say, but he knows this is a special moment. Perhaps he thinks that this is the end of Jesus' earthly life and that, like Elijah now, a whirlwind will come down and take Jesus away, as it did in 2 Kings chapter 2, which was the first reading this morning for those of you listening to this message on the radio. And perhaps Peter wants to preserve this moment. So, so he asks if he can build some shelter, some tents where they can, they can just be together for a, a few moments, a, a few more days maybe, before Jesus' chariot of fire comes and, and takes him away. But here, here is where Jesus' ministry is radically different than the ministry of Elijah. Here is where we learn something very, very important about who Jesus is. We already know that he's God's son, that he has power over demons and evil, that he speaks authoritative, performative words, if you will, that he can heal the sick, raise the dead. He can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He is willing to switch places with the least, the last, and the lost. But here we learn that he will not be swept away by some chariot of fire. Elijah was a great prophet, asked to give witness to God's true and abiding word. He was called to challenge Israel to remain faithful, to implore them not to succumb to the temptations of idolatry all around them. He spoke words against all who dared to put their trust in the false fertility gods all around them in those days. He even spoke boldly against the leaders of Israel, and Elijah suffered tremendously for it. Many sought his life, and he was often on the run from those who wished to kill him for his challenging words of God's truth. But before they could take Elijah's life, God sent a chariot of fire to sweep down and take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah was spared 
the cruel death that so many in those days wanted for him. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. There will, there will be no whirlwind on that mountaintop for Jesus. There will be no chariot of fire. Just that booming voice confirming Jesus' identity. This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to Him. And then all returned to the way it was. Elijah and Moses are gone. The dazzling white clothes go back to whatever color they were before. Jesus' face looks the way it did on the way up the mountain. And Jesus and his disciples go back down that mighty hill. And they don't just go back down to get back to the work of teaching and healing. They go back down so that Jesus can face his destiny. They go back down that Jesus might make his way to Jerusalem and face his accusers, his captors, his executioners. They go down the mountain that Jesus might face his death. Who is Jesus? He is the one who will go all the way to reclaim humanity on behalf of his heavenly Father. He is the one who will face the bitter sting of death on a cross in order to make us his very own. He is the one who will not escape when the road grows difficult or the way grows, goes, grows tough, right? When the cheers and celebrations turn to cries of crucify him, when the kisses and love turn to spit on his face and thorns on his head, he will take it. No chariot of fire to rescue Jesus. Only death and burial. He will rise again, of course, but that does not change the bitterness and agony of his death. His death was not an illusion. It was not a trick. He really endured death. The Son of God really and truly endured death. Death. Even death on a cross for you and for me. No escape, no relief, just suffering and death for you, for me. And the same Jesus calls his disciples to follow along. Before he went up the mountain, he not only predicted his death for the first time, He told his disciples to pick up their crosses and follow him too. They may not have known what he meant exactly, but they would find out. So they followed him up that mountain. And they followed him back down that mountain too. They followed him to Jerusalem, to the foot of the cross. They may have scattered, right, for a moment. Who wouldn't in the face of such a brutal death? But by the power of the Holy Spirit, they picked up their crosses too. They gave themselves for the sake of this Jesus. And in the process, they found something totally new. Who is this Jesus? He is one who gives himself for the sake of the world, and he asks us to do the same. He asks us to lay down our lives, to give ourselves away for the sake of our neighbor, for the sake of the world. 
there will be no chariot of fire for us either. At least not before we take the bitter drink of death too. But our Lord has paved the way so that our earthly death might be transformed into the gateway to eternal life with Him. And in the meantime, we're free. Free to give our lives away to our families, our neighbors, our employers, our congregations. And again, I think one of the best ways we can continue to serve our neighbors right now is by following the guidelines from our medical experts. Wear a mask. Watch your distance. Wash your hands. When it's your turn to get vaccinated, do it. And in the meantime, find creative ways, creative and safe ways to connect with others. Is that hard? Yes, right? Would it be a lot easier to just give up and act like everything is normal? Sure it would. It would have been a lot easier for Jesus to live the life of a king, too. Instead of laying down his life for you and me. So instead of serving our own interests, let's follow Jesus. Let's lay down our lives, too. Confident that God will raise us up day after day. For we know who it is that we follow. We follow the Son of God. We follow the Word made flesh. We follow the One with power over sin, death, and the devil. We follow the One who is willing to die for us. Let us follow where He leads us. And let us listen to Him. Amen.